Refiner's fire My heart's one desire Is to be Bow down before 
Welcome you to our Bible class here tonight at the Hartzell Church of Christ. For those of you who are online with us, thank you for coming. For those who are here, uh, you have a newsletter at the back, and also you have a brief skeleton outline of our lesson uh, for tonight. And feel free to get one of those if you need to. As we always do, we... Uh, go through the newsletter uh, before we do anything. And that newsletter has a lot of news in it. I was looking at it. You look on the very front page and uh, our new youth ministers here tonight, uh, of course with our youth, and then uh, a summer of signs. And it's describing what's going to happen beginning in June. On Sunday nights, we'll have speakers. And then on Wednesday night, Whatever the speaker spoke on the previous Sunday night, on Wednesday night, we will be in the fellowship area for June, July, and August, and we'll have our table discussions, and we'll talk about whatever the uh, speaker spoke about the previous um, Sunday. Then you see the information about our Vacation Bible School. Uh, read that. There will be an adult class that uh, uh, the night services of the VBS and there's a list of the speakers that we'll have in here uh, for the adult class. And there's a good lineup. As you look on the inside to the left, uh, Robert Allen's not doing too well. As you see there, he's uh, having kidney failure. And we want to keep him in our prayer and keep praying for Lang that she's going to get a, a good report. Then Hattie Claire Young is scheduled for eye surgery on her tear ducts tomorrow, May the 18th. And then Carl is scheduled for next surgery on May the 26th. So let's especially keep these folks in mind. As you go to the center, uh, there's a lot of stuff. BBS, the Brazil Sandwich Supper that's coming up on June the 4th after our Bible class on Sunday night. Then there's the blessing bags, and all the information about our blessing bags that are being prepared. And then the Daughters of the King, Ladies, uh, there will be a uh, uh, program for that on June the 29th. Read that. And then our preschool, as it gets ready for uh, the next, uh, for this fall, for the next school season, always is in need of supplies, and there'll be a box out there, and you can see what is needed. On the right, you see, on the inside, you see a list of our speakers, and uh, let's see. That's about all that I want to call to your attention. You can read all that information, and I hope you will, and participate in those things that you can participate in. Let's uh, have a word of prayer for our sick before we get into our class tonight. 
Father, we bring to you tonight some folks that mean a lot to us and that are struggling. We, we bring to you tonight Robert Allen, and we just pray Robert's kidneys will begin to work. We, we pray, dear Father, that whatever needs to be done, it will be done. We pray for healing. We pray for Lang, and, and we pray that this is going to be a good report that she gets from her biopsy. And we pray for Hattie Claire Young as she has her tear duct uh, surgery tomorrow. And we pray for Brother Carl. We appreciate him, love him so much, and we just pray that uh, this next surgery is uh, going to be successful. We pray that it'll, it'll take care of some of the pain that he's experiencing, that he'll be able to do things that he enjoys doing in the coming days. We know that you're a great God, and we know you hear our prayers, and we just ask you to hear our prayer tonight. Bless our efforts as we look at this great prophet, and as always, we thank you. We thank you so much for these great characters in the Old Testament that we can so readily relate to in our lives. And we're thankful for the examples, good and bad, from which we can learn. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Your Bibles are open to 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, we are down to the last two lessons on the life of Elisha. Uh, and tonight we're going, about, we're going to be discussing truth is truth. Now, we have not covered all the stories of Elisha. I didn't talk about the one with the floating axe head and, and some other stories. You can read those, and I hope you will. And I hope you have been blessed by our study in Elisha. But what I want to do is to take the next two Wednesday nights, tonight, next Wednesday night, and we're going to break a big story down because our text, as you see, deals with the last part of 2 Kings 6, and we'll go all the way through chapter 7. Now, my goal tonight is to get through chapter 6, and then, uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up the story uh, in chapter 7 uh, next Wednesday night. Truth is truth. That's a tremendous lesson to focus on, folks, uh, in our day and time. It really is. Uh, the most valuable commodity that we have is truth. Truth. You can't get any more valuable than that. The writer would say, buy the truth and do not sell it. And that means when you get truth, don't let it go. When you get truth, don't you sell it for anything in the world. Why? Because truth is the most precious commodity. And of course, we know John 8.32, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And all truth is precious. All truth. Today in our society, 
it seems like we don't care about truth anymore. Uh, you talk about the political world or any world. Uh, we just accepted that politicians lie. We just accepted that people feel. And today it's like uh, we don't punish people because, you know, they lie unless we really hate them and we've got enough people to convict them and on our side. But it's sort of like we just let it go. We have laws that are based on truth. And those laws don't mean anything. They just sort of, we just sort of uh, look away from them. All truth is precious. And yet we have forgotten that in our society. But what we want to do, we want to focus tonight and uh, next Wednesday night on the truth of God's Word. In this passage in Psalms 119 and 151, the psalmist says, You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. And how true that is. What we also do, not only in our society today, is there the tendency to sell the truth. But also in religion today, there's the tendency to sell the truth. And, and truth in religion is not as, it's not as important today as it once was. And because of that, we accept anything and allow just about anything uh, to come in. Uh, we need to get focused again on truth. I guess it's because I'm getting older. But one of the things I, I see today is that we, and I say we, I'm talking about me as well, we have gotten away from fundamentals. We, we've gotten away from doctrine. We've gotten away from biblical truths that are important. And what we do sometimes, sometimes we may do it because of popularity, sometimes we may do it because it's a very difficult thing to do. It's a hard stance to take. But what we've done is that we've sold the truth. And so I think it's good for us as we see Elisha and as we look at Elisha, how that he, as many, well as many other prophets, were people of truth and they spoke God's truth. I found this quote that I liked uh, from WJD. Actually, it's a commentary on Proverbs 23:23. Consider truth as a thing of the highest value and spare no pains, cost, or sacrifice to obtain it. And when gotten, keep it safe. Do not barter, barter it. And that's what we have a tendency to do sometimes with truth. For earthly profit or the pleasures of sins. Do not be reasoned out of it. Sometimes that's what we do when we sell the truth. We're reasoned out of it. Or laughed out of it. Sometimes we don't hold the truth because we don't want to be laughed at or sneered at. Sell it not. Do not part with it for any consideration. I thought those were uh, some very powerful words and a tremendous commentary on Proverbs 23, 23. Now, with that in mind, 
as we think about truth is truth. What we're going to be doing tonight and next Wednesday night, we're going to be seeing in this story how that uh, truth is truth and you can't change it. And the different ways that people use and different things that move us to change truth. And I think uh, we may be able to relate to it in some way. So, as we now get focused on Elisha, some of the other stories that we've had, okay, we've gotten some tremendous lessons out of them, but you might look and say, well, what was the real reason for this story? But you don't have to do that with our story tonight and next Wednesday night. We know what the reason for what we're going to study beginning tonight is. Because if you go all the way in, uh, all the way to the end of the story over in uh, chapter 7, it says, So it happened just as a man of God had spoken to the king. Now what we'll see when we get there next week is that this has been repeated over and over. Over and over. So it happened just as a man of God had spoken to the king. It's like, okay, this is enough. We get it. You know, the man of God told the truth. But it just kept saying it over and over again. Why? Because the emphasis is in this story is it wants us to know that truth is important. And Elisha understood that truth was important. Uh, You could uh, question Elisha. You could laugh at Elisha, and you could even doubt Elisha. But that didn't matter to him, because truth is truth. Now, what I want to do is I want to go back to the uh, second lesson in Elisha and remind you of something, because the first three or four lessons, I really hit this, and I just got off of it, because I thought, well, you'll get tired of hearing it. But remember in the first in the second lesson, I told you the whole story about Elisha and the whole big message about the whole life of Elisha was this, that you respect God and when you respect God's message and you respect God's messenger, you'll be blessed. And we saw that in some of these stories we've looked at. Then I also point out to you that when we do not respect God, we do not respect his message, and we do not respect his messenger, you will be cursed. And that's what we're going to see in a dramatic way in this story that we uh, begin tonight. So, let's look at some things as we look at this story, how that can change people and change their thinking about the truth. It can cause people to sell the truth. Here's the first one. As you get your outline out, and we'll get into the text now, and open it up. Hope you got your Bible open. And just relax now, and let's just soak up the Word. And let's let the Word speak to us for a few moments. Here's the first thing I want us to learn in our story tonight. And that is, ignoring truth doesn't change truth. Now, does that sound like today? Does that sound like today in a society? Does that sound like that today in religion? We feel like maybe somehow, some way, if we put it back here, you know, out of sight, 
out of mind. And if we can just ignore the truth, then somehow, some way, all that's going to change. The truth will change. And what we're going to learn in verses 24 through 29 of chapter 6, that's not the case. So let's break it down. First of all, we're going to see a tragic reality here in the life of Elisha and in the city of Samaria. And to put it where we all understand it, we're going to see that now things are bad. I mean bad. So let's begin. Verse 24. And it happened after this, that Benadad, king of Assyria, gathered all of his army and went up and besieged uh, Samaria. After this. Well, that's after what we just talked about. Remember in our lesson last week, you go back to verse 23, and remember how that the king uh, sent the uh, Samaritans back and uh, let them free because of Elisha. And he sent them away, and they went to their masters. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more in the land of Israel. And we talked about how that was just for a little while. And then, now, after this, the king of Samaria decides it's time to go fight some. And so he goes to the city of Samaria. And uh, it says here in verse 24, and he went up and he besieged the city, Samaria. Now apparently this was a technique that he liked because remember in our story last time that he besieged or he circled the city of Dothan uh, where Elisha was. And this has always been a, a technique of warfare uh, through the ages. And that is the best way sometimes to deal with a city is just surround it and, and cut it off. I remember, uh, I remember some of my meetings I've held down in Vicksburg uh, had the opportunity to go to see the battleground there at Vicksburg in Mississippi. And uh, one of the uh, per persons that was at the member of the church was a curator there of the museum. And so I got a lot of interesting information. They gave me some Confederate money. They gave me some Confederate, they gave me some Confederate bullets that was found. It was, very nice of them to do that. And uh, they, they told me a little bit about how that Grant and, and, and the northern folks surrounded the city of Vicksburg. And uh, when you besiege a city, uh, you, there are several things that can happen. And there are several bad things that can happen. It's not one particular thing to bring them to their knees. And we're going to see that. So we got the picture. The king says, I'm going down to Samaria and we're going to surround Keep in mind that Samaria is the capital. This is where the king has a palace. This is also where Elisha has a place as well. And a very important place. I was reading about in Josephus in Antiquities. And um, Josephus, of course he didn't live back then, but he wrote about this. And Josephus says that Joram, Joram, which is the king of uh, Israel, Joram shuts himself up within his capital. He didn't, he didn't have the army to fight the Samaritans. They were more in number. They were, more, they were greater fighters. And so he just shuts himself up. Now, how he got that information, I don't know. Of course, he lived a whole lot closer to it than we do. But that was uh, his thinking here about what happened. 
that uh, everything is just shut up. He didn't want to fight, and so the city is surrounded. Now, notice in verse 25 what happens. There was a great famine in Samaria. Uh, we're going to see in, in just a moment how great it was. I remember reading and, and hearing when I was down at Vicksburg how bad it got uh, there when the Union soldiers surrounded the city. Uh, they said that it came to a point finally that because no food was coming in that, you know, and they would eat the mules and then they would uh, eat the dogs then they would eat the cats. And I was even reading about one guy who, uh, they, they caught birds. And they would, uh, blue jays, any kind of bird. And they'd make bird soup out of it. Things got so bad they would eat rats. I mean, when you get hungry, you'll just do about anything, won't you? And that's how you starve out a city. Well, watch what happens here. This is... This is not good. Not good. And indeed they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. That's about two pounds of silver. Do you know how much two pounds of silver will cost you today? Right at $600. Their money. Can you imagine being so hungry that you're going to donkey's head and they say it's $600? I mean, this is an exorbitant, I mean, a, an exorbitant price. And here's the thing about a donkey's head. Uh, a donkey's, donkeys were unclean. They really weren't supposed to eat them, but when you're hungry, you'll just do anything, won't you? And... Uh, when you look at this, would a donkey's head be the most desirable part of a donkey? I mean, don't, what? No meat, on it. no meat on it. No meat on it. I mean, that, that once again emphasizes how exorbitant this price is. $600 for a donkey's head and there's no meat on it. That's pretty bad, isn't it? When you get to that point. But folks, it even gets worse in this city of Samaria that's besieged. And one-fourth of a cab, cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. That's about a pint of dove droppings. And they were selling that for five shekels or two ounces of silver. You know what that would be today? That'd be $50. So you go to the grocery store and you ask for a, a pint of dove droppings. And they say it'll be $50. Exorbitant, isn't it? Now, there was some interesting discussion when you're reading this about these folks, about uh, why dove droppings. Uh, the first thing I thought of, because I guess I watched too much of these uh, nature shows, I thought they're going to burn it for fuel. But then I started reading in, in their historical records that... Uh, that are there for us to read about how that bird droppings were often used as a source of food in times of famine. Because you would have seeds and other things that were completely, I mean, I'm just, you know, that's gory stuff. This is bad. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I mean, this is, this is uh, 
really, really bad situation. But let me tell you something. Things got worse. Got worse. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall. Now, I don't know if he was out there. Maybe he was out there looking at the enemy and where they were surrounding. I don't know if he was looking at the walls. I don't know if he was looking at his soldiers, but he was passing by on the wall. And a woman cried out to him saying, Help me, O Lord, O king. Now, the king assumes that uh, what she's wanting is some food. Verse 27, and he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Now those are empty, and he knows it. He says, if the Lord can't help you, you think I can help you? I mean, everything is so bad, it's, there's nothing. There's nothing in the wine presses. There's nothing in the threshing floors. I think notice what happens now in verse 28a. Then the king said to her, what's your trouble? What's, what's your trouble? What's troubling you? And he's going to learn now that it's more than just food. Now, food's a big issue, of course. But what's troubling this woman is something far, far, whew, ah, horrendous than just food and not having food. And she answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. What she wanted, just as much as she wanted food, she wanted justice. Uh, this is the first case of cannibalism that we read about in the Bible. And if you'll read uh, Josephus, and if you'll read about the siege of Jerusalem in AD 70, you'll find that this very thing happened in Jerusalem in AD 70 when Titus came in with his Roman army and laid siege to that city. If you'll read, you'll find that when the Babylonians came into Jerusalem and surrounded the city, that this very thing happened. Very thing happened again. I mean, things are unbelievably horrendous here. I read this. Someone had suggested, and in, in, in one of the trying to explain this, that maybe the children already died of malnutrition. And maybe that makes it a little better because the children were already dead. I don't know about that. But it's bad, isn't it? That's why we say a tragic reality. I mean, you're starving to death. You got a donkey. that You can pay $600 for his head and there's no meat on it. You can get dove droppings for $50, two ounces of them. And the last thing was children. I don't know. I, I don't know if they were alive or dead, but this is a historical fact. Anybody want to comment on that? 
really, you just don't, you sort of want to read over it, don't you? Go on. I don't know. It doesn't say. I think you're right on that, Harry. I think uh, Harry points out that this probably was a long, long siege, and I would, I would say certainly so, to get this drastic. Yes. But I don't know. The Bible really doesn't tell us how long this siege was. Yeah. Now, Josephus, Josephus would tell us, I think the siege in Jerusalem in AD 70 was about a year or something like that. It was a long time. Well, any comments? All right. It's bad. Okay? Now, what's the terrible reason? Let's talk about that for a moment. What brought about this? I mean, all of this stuff that's happened to the people in Samaria and God's people, what happened? Sin, right? You got idolatry. I haven't said much about it, but you still got, you know, Baal and Jezebel still around. You still got uh, Baal in the, in the country. You've got all kind of things that have gone wrong, and, and there is sin in the camp. And Moses had warned about this. This, this is something, it's sort of like, you know, we read warnings and we forget them. And the people of Israel had warnings. Look at this passage. Deuteronomy. They shall besiege you at all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you at all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy shall distress you. So what happens if you don't keep the, the covenant of God? In Leviticus 26. And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Now, it wasn't that they did not have any warning. And, and the people of Israel and Samaria had ignored God's truth. But because they ignored the truth, it didn't change the truth, did it? God says, here's the law, here's the covenant, here's the truth. You rebel, you sin, this is what's going to happen. And they ignored the truth. And it didn't change it. And that's what happens so often if we're not careful today. I mentioned this at the very beginning of that point. That is, we begin to ignore the truth. And we think somehow, some way, if we just put it over here, it'll just simply go away. Uh, maybe we ignore the truth sometimes because maybe it's people do because they've never been taught. I think most of the time for those of uh, for us and, and for this America, it's that we just willingly remain ignorant. We don't want to read God's Word, and we don't want His truth, and so we just willingly do that. And here's the truth. You can ignore truth. And when you do, there's going to be terrible consequences. Just because you put it back here, you don't, out of sight, out of mind, it, 
doesn't mean that God's not going to do what he says he's going to do. And that's the thing about truth. Just ignore it. Doesn't change it. Any thoughts on that? All righty. Let's go on. I don't know if we'll get through with this one or not. This next point, but we'll see. If not, we'll continue. Getting angry doesn't change truth. Getting angry. Some people get angry at truth today. They get angry true at truth from the Word of God. And they get mad. They get mad at people. They get mad at the truth. They get mad at those who preach the truth. But that doesn't change the truth. Or you get mad. Let's see the king's despair. Verse 30. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman, they tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Now what was the purpose of the sackcloth in the Old Testament? Was that as a sign of mourning? Boy, this king is just really tore up. I mean, I would be too. If I'm the king and I hear that this is what's happening among my people, you know, they're eating each other's child and, and how bad this situation is. God, I think I would really be tore up myself as well. Uh, sackcloth was a cheap fabric, and it was a very, very rough fabric. It was a, had rough fibers to it. Today we have something similar to sackcloth. What is it? Burlap. Uh, where I grew up, we called it something else. Toe sack. And then some people call it something else. What? A gunny sack. You heard a gunny sack? But you take a, a, a toe sack or a burlap sack, and you know how rough it is and everything. That's what they would put on. And it would be a sign, uh, as Daryl pointed out, of mourning. It would irritate the skin. It was also a... A, a way of, mostly it was mourning, but it was a way of purging yourself. You know, it was a way of, uh, of punishing yourself while wearing this irritating sackcloth as well. Some of you have gone to uh, Brazil with us, and uh, you know that uh, there's a spiritualist camp not far from the uh, Larmina, and some of you have been in that spiritualist camp, and they, that's the way they feel how they get rid of their sins. They have to beat themselves. Uh, and you can go into their temple there, and sometimes if you go into their temple, they've got some guy, people in there with their shirts off, and they're beating themselves. They're trying to purge themselves and get rid of their sins. Some of them are lying out on a, a rock, and you know, they're, they're around the equator, and they're lying out there on a hot rock, trying to burn themselves out. They're purging themselves. That is also somewhat of, of what you see here uh, when it comes to sackcloth. You, you see it used several times, uh, like here, then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and he mourned. And what you see most of the time isn't with mourning. It's just Second uh, Samuel 3.31 that David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes and yourselves with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. All right. So the king here is in despair. And we might ask the question, why? Why has he got the sackcloth on? Well, I think it I think it's re, I think it's evident that he's torn up about what's going on. 
and how these people are starved. I think maybe also because of the message that Elisha had been preaching. You know, you're going to have troubles from the Lord if you don't repent. And, and you got to get your act together. And I think maybe some of this morning was a morning inside because he hadn't repented. He hadn't changed. And, and the thing is, uh, the Lord was not going to rescue him. Any comment about this? The king's despair. He gets pretty bad. Let's see his decision in verses 31 and 33. See what happens here. I, I will say this. Let me go back and say this. If the king had changed his mind, and if the king had really, really repented, God would have forgiven him, right? We have these words here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. That could have been taken care of. Uh, Daryl makes a good point about, you see the big difference here between godly sorrow and just regular sorrow. You can be sorry about something happened and, and something's going on, but you don't have godly sorrow that moves you to repentance. And, and that's a good point. This is a big difference, a big difference in, in, in this king. So what happens now, verse 31? Then he said, God do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, you remember just in our last lesson, he called him father. He says, if the head of Elisha, the son of Japhat, remains on him today. Here's what happens. You know what he does? He looks at this bad situation. He's got this sackcloth on. Instead of repenting and saying, Lord, we got to get you back and we got to change you, he does like we sometimes do. He got angry and he blamed Elisha. Does that sound familiar? I mean, uh, the king held Elisha responsible for all of this stuff. And it was Elisha trying to get him to follow truth. But just because the king got angry, it didn't change the truth, did it? No. It's easier in life to get angry and to blame other people. The things we ought to be changing in our lives. It really is. And sometimes in life we find when people tell us the truth, especially the truth of God's word, they get angry. They get angry because it is truth, but it doesn't change the truth. They get angry, they want to blame you, or they want to blame somebody else. Or they want to blame how they were raised, or whatever it might be, why they are the person they are today, and they can't follow truth. Instead of accepting responsibility. You know, uh, I got... Toward the last 10 years of, of my ministry in full time, I got where I just really didn't want to do marriage counseling. I really didn't. I just, I didn't. And, and here's the reason why. Because I can name you time. I can't do that. It's confidential. But I can name you time and time and time and time and time again. People coming in in couples and they have difficulties. And you tell them the truth. You tell them the truth. And they get angry. 
And you know what happens? Most of the time, they got angry at me. They came to me. I wasn't trying to stick my nose in their business. But I say, okay, here and here. And then one would say, well, Philip said this. And I said, no, Philip said that. I got some people today that are mad at me today. That happened years ago. Because it's a whole lot easier to get angry at somebody and, place, and not accept the truth and not try to make some changes in our lives. And that's what a lot of folks do today when it comes to the Word. Anybody want to comment on that? That may have shocked you. I don't know. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Hey, see, this has already happened. So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow. Just like his mama. Just like his mama. She had the same attitude toward Elijah as he did toward Elisha. Now verse 32. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And these are the, the leaders of the city. I find it interesting that they were with the prophet, and they were not with the king. Now, remember the city is surrounded, besieged. But they're out there with Elijah. Maybe they were trying to seek some comfort from Elisha. Maybe they were trying to seek some advice from Elisha. Maybe we got, they were trying to have prayer with Elisha. I don't know, but it was interesting to me that they wanted to be out, not with the king, but they wanted to be out there with this man of God. And, he, and the king sent a man ahead of him. It's an assassin. The king is sending an assassin. Now, Elisha knows this. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer, this is Joram, how is he a son of a murderer? Yeah, Ahab's his daddy. Remember how Ahab uh, knocked off some folks? Remember out in Naboth? You remember the prophets? He said, he's a son of a murderer, has sent someone to take away my head. Look, when the messenger comes, Shut the door, he tells these leaders of the city. You shut the door. And hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? You see, the king sends the assassin. But the king wants to see this job done. He wants to make sure it's done, so he's coming in behind the assassin. Now remember, Elisha knows this. And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. Here comes the assassin. And then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Now, I think you have to sort of read between the lines here in this, in this particular story and, and, uh, and see what's going on, okay? Uh, the king has followed the assassin. And these elders of the city apparently have shut the door and kept the assassin out. <laughs> I would imagine my mind I was reading it about these, these older guys, you know, like me, these older guys, and they're up against the door and they're trying with all their strength and here's this assassin, you know, big strong assassin pushing on the door, let her in, I'm on the king's business. Uh, it's fun to read the Bible like that sometimes, folks, it really is. 
got to try it. But I could imagine that somehow the king and Elijah, Elisha, have this conversation. Notice what happens now, the last part. The king said, surely, this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? The king is furious. The king is red-faced. His eyes are bulging. His veins are just ready to pop in his head. But it didn't change the truth, did it? Didn't change the truth at all. And today, just because we get angry at people, because we get angry especially at the Word of God and what the Word of God says, it doesn't change it. It doesn't. Just because we may feel that people get angry at us, it doesn't mean we change the truth, because it doesn't. In Galatians 4, 16, Paul addressed this. Have I therefore become your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. All right, we've got a minute here. We're going to stop right there, and we'll get into Roman numeral 3 on your outline. Bring your outlines back next week. But any comments about these two things, and these two ways that we try to change truth? We do it by ignoring it. We do it by getting angry and blaming others. Any comments? All right, we will look at uh, two other points in our lesson next Wednesday night, and we'll see how Elisha uh, leaves this whole world, and then we'll be uh, through with that prophet for a while. Let's have a word of prayer. We're going to ask Harry, if he will, to lead us in the closing prayer.